Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Good Will Hunting. Will Hunting, a janitor at MIT, has a gift for mathematics, but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. Hey, James, do you up? like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? Whose number? You know whose. Skyla's. I have no idea whose number you got. If you guys can guess, <laughs> we are doing Good Will Hunting today. It's going to be an epic one. We love Good Will Hunting. This is a, a, a beloved film. came out in 1997, directed by Gus Van Sant. Screenplay by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. It's 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, but obviously we take Rotten Tomatoes with a grain of salt, but it's still <laughs> exceptional. 8.3 on IMDb. It is listed at number 86 on the IMDb user all-time list of films of all time. You can stream it right now on Hulu and Stars, or you can rent it on Amazon Prime. And, you know, we really, really love this movie. Obviously, we watched this a lot when we were kids. <laughs> yeah, we actually did. But, uh, you know, we're, we're from Massachusetts, so, you know, basically our lives were like Will Hunting, and I was Will Hunting, Anthony was was Kate C. Affleck's character. No, no. <laughs> not even close. You're Cole Hauser. <laughs> I'm Lambo. <laughs> You're Lambo. <laughs> but, um, okay, so just to clear it up, we did not grow up in Southie, but we grew up in the Boston area, but we were in, like, the cool, rough neighborhood of Southie. In Boston, it's actually cooler to be from the worst neighborhoods. It's like a respect thing and a street thing, like, when you hear someone's from a rough neighborhood like Southie or Charlestown or Lowell, it's like, oh, whoa, did you hear that guy's from Lowell? So we were just outside the city, but we really related to this film because the Boston humor is very specific. Uh, we all talk in a certain way, and, you know, it's very, like, you're always beating up on your friends and giving each other shit. Boston and, chops all yeah, day. Yeah, so we it, still do it every day. Yeah, exactly. So when I watch this movie, it feels like I'm back home, and it's one of my favorite movies because of that reason. And Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were really incredible with how they wrote this film to really capture what the Boston culture is like. Yeah, the plot of this movie is, I think, nothing short of remarkable. It's a pretty brilliant idea. It's relatable to anyone who's grown up in a in a city or in poverty. Um, setting in South Boston is great. It's not as bad as it used to be. Obviously, it's gone through gentrification over the last decade or so. So, like the last five years, especially, Southie isn't really what Southie used to be. But it used to be, you know, considered one of the toughest neighborhoods in America. Very Irish, and you know, if you weren't from there, you weren't really accepted, no matter wh what you looked like. Um, but you know, Boston's a rich city in terms of history and culture. And, you know, there's more than just crime stories, and that's why I really like this film, because it's focused on the really interesting character of Will Hunting, who's this super genius born in South Boston and grew up an orphan. It is a really amazing uh, concept, and I think this is one of the best screenplays ever written. And Matt Damon actually came up with the idea, the, the initial idea, um, for a theater class. He was writing a play, and he was going to school. At, he was going to um, college at Harvard. And that Harvard kid, yeah, yeah, Cambridge. For, yeah. So this for Harvard, huh? I thought there'd <laughs> be all sorts equations, of equations in the wall. <laughs> but um, so he wrote this for a theatrical play class, and uh, his class, his I think his classmates didn't even like it. But then he got really passionate about it, and then he dropped out of Harvard with only one semester left to go because he felt confident that he and Ben Affleck could turn this into a script. Now he and Ben were they were acting for years. They've been they were child actors and you know commercials, small parts in movies. And and Matt Damon was even in The Rainmaker, um, Francis Ford Cop Coppola's film, and also Courage Under Fire with Denzel Washington. He had a supporting role, and so he had been in some some pretty major films. But he was still very unknown. Yeah, uh, he didn't get paid much for those movies, so he was still like working his way out. And Ben Affleck also working his way up, doing small parts, trying to find their way in Hollywood. And so they actually wrote the script together after Matt brought him brought him his initial ideas, 
and they would write um like across the country when they were both working in different acting projects they would literally fax each other like new scenes like hey i added this dialogue or i added this scene and and because this is before you know computers and email and smartphones they were literally faxing each other pages of goodwill hunting to each other mid 90s from across the country and then they got the original script done and Goodwill Hunting's original story was going to be an action thriller, very much like an espionage film where, you know, Goodwill Hunting is a genius and the government wants him or some other reason. It's supposed to be very suspenseful and very action packed. And they got it to a couple of producers and one producer in particular said, this idea is amazing, but the execution doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like it should be an action thriller. Try and make it more nuanced. Try and make it about, you know, the, per the personal journey of the character and the emotional journey of the character. And so Ben Affleck and Matt Damon rewrote the script and made it very small, very intimate. And that I think is what really makes this movie amazing is the character development, the the personal journey that all these characters go through, especially Will. And I think that if this was any kind of thriller, thriller action movie, it would not have worked. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Now that we're both officially full-time on the show, you all are paying the for the bills. You're keeping the lights on for the show. So thank you so much to all of our incredible patrons. You'll get podcast schedules, personalized videos, podcast shout-outs, which we'll be doing the top-tier Patreon shout-out on, on this episode at the end. So stay tuned for that. Plus, you have access to weekly bonus episodes with posts every Every Wednesday, as well as merch and, and giveaways and stuff like that. We're also launching a podcast masterclass in about a week or so. So get tuned for that. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, if you already have a podcast, we're going to show you all the tricks to the trade, everything we've learned along the way, how we went from 43 downloads our first month to 260,000 downloads in October. So it's been a journey and we want to share our all of our secrets with you and help improve your show if you already have one or start a new show. It's 22 chapter course, very in-depth. Head on over to RaidersOfLostPodcast.com see all of our sources of content, our merch, movie posters that we've made, our, our new beanies just came out, they're pretty awesome. And follow, subscribe wherever you're listening and tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in around the world. We're also going to do a free movie poster giveaway later in this episode, so stay tuned for that. Now let's get back into Goodwill Hunting. And since you're talking about the idea in the original screenplay and how they they came up with it, the original versions of Goodwill Hunting also had the character of Will as a physics prodigy at first rather than mathematics. But they talked to mathematicians and physicists and, and they came to the conclusion that physics is more of a collective project or collective study. You know, groups of people do things and achieve things together. Whereas mathematics, you know, some people, mathematicians will spend decades alone working on problems and working on theorems. So it, it made more sense if it's if he's a loner to be a mathematical genius. But he's also, you know, like photographic memory and stuff like that. And also, um, it's speculated that the character of Will Hunting is based on a real person, a child prodigy named William Citus, who was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1890, 1898, who had exceptional mathematical abilities. He went to MIT at age eight. He was at Harvard Mathematics at age 16, law school at age 17. So he was just a, a prodigy, and his IQ was estimated to be, I think, around 250 to 300, which is probably where Will's is, is in this movie, which is like one or two people on the planet are probably around there. And you could also say it, it was definitely inspired by this, the character, the person, the mathematician that um, he tells Sean, about, that Sean tells Lambeau about. Lambeau tells Sean about later in the film. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember that, his name, I can't remember, but it's definitely gonna be inspired by that too. Yeah, and I mean, Albert Einstein's was about 200, so I think it, Will Hunting, you could say his, his IQ is probably about 50 to 100 points higher than Albert Einstein's. Same thing with this Citus person. And um, Citus ended up, you know, 
avoiding the spotlight and he was kind of a, a huge celebrity locally and nationally for his genius intellect and so I don't know I'm not sure he wrote some books but I think he was mostly like secretive about what he did kind of like Will Hunting in, in the film I really love the depiction of the intelligence in this movie and you know there there are ways to depict intelligence like I really love how Sherlock uh, they visually show you what's going on in Sherlock's mind in the TV series and with this film you know there, it's very nuanced, and Gus Van Sant's directing is really excellent. Like, uh, Will is able to, you just, they don't really t tell you what he's doing, but you see it through action. Like, when he's reading a book, he literally goes page to page and is like laughing, and you can you can tell he's reading a book just from looking at each page and In glancing seconds, at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the way he, the way he can just write math, math, mathematical equations that seem extremely complex without it without a problem without hesitation the i think the approach to his intelligence is really fascinating in this film also like counting the seconds on that clock so i think they did a great job of not dumbing it down and not spoon feeding the audience by showing how intelligent he was and also probably the best scene is when he um over or like de defeats that bully at the bar by reciting these word-for-word -word verbatim passages from different textbooks and he knows exactly what library to get a certain book and what page it is so these are great ways to show his intelligence rather than just saying, you could have a character say, oh, Will is like the most incredibly smart person ever I've ever seen within the first minute. And like, he's a genius, but they don't do that. Yeah. It's, we, so we see it happen. And then Sean and Lambeau discuss his intelligence like halfway through the film. I think it's really clever because it, it kind of reminds me of a quote from Sean in the film where he says, no one can understand the depths of you. You're a genius. No one denies that. And so I think it would be unfair to the audience to try to show what Will's mind is like and his problem-solving abilities and what goes on in his brain because no one could possibly understand the depths of somebody like that. That super-duper smart, like, it's a different kind of human being, you know? It's a, they're living in a different dimension internally inside their mind. Like, they think on a different level than we could ever imagine. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Imagine like the, the things that go on through their head. You can you can never fathom, you know. So I think it's smart to not show like how he's doing things, but just that he can do them. And I think the first time we see it is when he um he leaves the bar early with Chucky and the boys because he like wants to go home. He says he's tired, but he wants to go home to try to solve that problem that he saw on the chalkboard. And that I think is just the way to show like his interest and obsession with with his intelligence, but the fact that he's keeping it secret. And it his interest comes from his innate ability to his incredible mind. And it, it, he's like, he has to, he has to feed it constantly. 
You know what I mean? Like he tries to like hang out with his friends as much as he can and he tries to like be a normal guy. He's always trying to just be one of the guys. But that's a great example of he can't help but solve this problem. Once he sees it, he has to solve it. And because his mind is so vast, he always needs to fill it up. And that's why like he uh, Skylar jokes about like you actually do this for fun. Like how is this fun? <laughs> the biology. Yeah, the, the, like, Organic bio biology. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Who does it? We do it for kicks. Yeah, it's exactly. a great time. Yeah, exactly. But that's just how his mind works. Like it's he tries to be someone else, but ultimately, I think that by the end of this movie, he, he finally accepts that he is special. I think that's his biggest fault. Like that's one of his biggest journeys is accepting himself, accepting and understanding. I am different. I am unique. I am special. I have something no one else has, and he takes the entire story for him to embrace that. And then once he does, I think he'll be much more at ease with himself. Yeah, but just for a second, let's talk about Gus Van Sant because yeah. he does such an incredible job directing this movie. I don't know if it would have been as good if anyone else did it. He's just, I think, just such a patient filmmaker. When you watch this film, he takes his time. There's a lot of dialogue-heavy scenes in this movie, very long scenes and a lot of talking. And, I mean, how many therapy sessions are there between Matt and between um, uh, Will and Sean. Those are some of my favorite scenes in like cinema history is watching them two in therapy together inside that room or at the duck pond in, in the Even city. showing him taking the train, riding the train yeah. um, from for like a minute, a montage. Like you don't, most directors, you don't have to show that, but he, like you said, he's a very patient filmmaker and he makes you feel like you're a part of this group. Like also just filming them in the car during their drives, like not, there's no dialogue going on, there's no plot happening, but it's just the crew driving across Boston and it makes you feel like you're there. And I love the way he filmed it. There are a ton of these very long takes, long shots where the camera's moving very slowly just around the characters. And it's it's really interesting, interesting because it makes you feel like you're observing from the outside, almost like a play kind of, but like where you're just walking around a conversation of people like at a table. He does it with a lot of these dialogue heavy scenes. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. And I love how the camera he does that a lot in the hallway scenes, like when he's looking at the problem and solving it and when he's mopping, just the camera kind of just slowly tracks yeah. to the side. Lots of long takes with the frame changing like Paul Thomas Anderson filming. Yeah, but it's his best movie. I've seen all of Gus Van Sant's films and he's made some really, really great ones, but he... Good Will Hunting is just such a special movie. It is the peak of his career, of his great career, and it's hard to... I, can't, I still can't believe looking back on on this film, like how did this not win anything else except for writing and supporting actor? Mm -hmm. Like this, I think this should have won Best Picture and it, I think it definitely could have possibly won Best Director. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And I think one of the greatest strengths to it besides the script obviously and the directing is the music. Now, Danny Elfman, uh, he did like the original themes and tracks for it, but I think there's only two songs they did, like the opening and I think yeah. the outro he did. But he, he created this great, beautiful, like magical, theme for Will Hunting and it's filled with wonder and all sorts of cool instruments. You hear the music when he's doing math. Yeah. You hear, that's the one you hear mostly outside from the intro and opening when yeah. he's doing mathematics. Yeah, uh, you hear the Danny Elfman music. But also, in this film, Gus Van Sant, he used particularly one musician's music as kind of like the soul of the film. Uh, this musician named Elliot Smith. He's an acoustic uh, singer and guitarist. And there are very few examples where a musician's music acts as like the soul of a film like here. And I'm not talking like a movie like Her where Arcade Fire was tapped to make the original score for that. I'm talking about a musician's original music that they've already made 
being used in a film extensively. It reminds me of Sufjan Stevens and the importance of his music in Call Me By Your Name with those 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 songs like Visions of Gideon at the end and stuff like that. And so and Ellie, also Simon and Garfunkel in The Graduate. Great point yeah. too. But also again, they were tapped to write the music for that film. Yeah, I think. they did a, they did an entire um album just but, for that movie. But that's different. So I'm talking about so that's more of like Arcade Fire with her. So with this, they used Elliot Smith's music was already made before. Yeah, he was the movie. already yeah. So okay. like they just used his songs for this. Got it. Call Me By Your Name I think is a very sim another example of that. But Elliot Smith, there's like five or six songs that he has in this movie, and it really acts as the soul of the film because. Like you said, with, with the original script of it being like action-heavy thriller, like, oh, it's fast-paced. But then <laughs> Elliot Smith, it's really melancholy and dramatic, and it really adds so much to the depth of Will Hunting and his character and the mood of the film. Because at the end of the story, it's really a love film. It's a love story yeah. at the end, really. It's a great romantic yeah, film. I really think is. a lot of people don't understand how romantic it is. It's, it's really relatable in terms of romantic relationships. Yeah, like him and Skyler, like the dates they go on, they feel like super realistic, yeah. like them just goofing off and... The conversation seems so natural, and the dialogue seems so natural. I think that Ben and Matt did a really f sensational job of, like, you know, it feels like this is what a date is like. If you've ever been on a date, you guys are just goofing off. You're trying to make each other laugh. You're trying to be charming. You know, you're enjoying each other's company rather than, like, the typical, like, small talk you might hear in another film. It really feels like these are real people on a date. And also, you know, people on first dates like to hide everything, all the skeletons in their closet, <laughs> which Will Hunting does this entire film to Skylar, constantly lying to her, lying to other people lying about having was it 12 older brothers yeah. and and uh having living with two or three of them and that she'll meet them and not, not that he's completely broke that he grew up as an orphan that he was abused extensively which is one of the reasons why he constantly gets off of all the crimes he has but you know i think the concept of the film and then again the mood and the atmosphere is just sustained with the incredible music throughout it yeah and i mean will is constantly using things like that as a defense mechanism he's preventing people from getting close to him he's lying to Skyler lying to his friends I'm sure I'm sure the guys don't even know he was abused as a kid I'm sure they think that no, they, of course they do they're, they're I don't, no, I'm I don't sure think, they're all orphans no I don't think they they know he was abused like maybe they do of possibly. course they do you okay you Dude, might they're, right. they're they best, might be they might know Chucky first like they all know okay but new people and then for any uh, any woman in his life will is gonna keep them at a distance and he lies to Skyler to keep her from ever getting close to him because he's afraid of how she'll react if she finds out what his past is really like and who he really is, you know? And that's why, I think that's also why he is very, very reluctant to, to ever let anyone know how smart he is. Yeah. He's that, always trying to hide it. That scene where he actually takes Skylar to meet the bo the boys and they go out to yeah. drinking and, uh, with Chucky when when he's telling Chucky, like, oh, you're, you're driving home after they leave yeah. the bar. And, um... And Skyler's like, I thought we were going to stay at your place tonight. I thought I was going to meet your brothers. And Chucky's like, oh, you don't want to go to that one bedroom spot. Like, He knows you dropped him like in a bit like a bad habit yeah, once he sees he, that he, one room palace. <laughs> exactly. So like, that's a, that's a funny way to say what's going on in Will's mind where if she sees that place, then she's never going to want to see me again. So I have to avoid that. And he thinks that he has to be a certain way for her to, you know, want to be with him. And that's why he, he's afraid of her learning the truth about him because he thinks that if she finds everything out, if she sees his crappy apartment, she'll want to run away. And True. that's what he's more afraid of than anything. So he's so – because like we see his fear of abandonment, which Sean tells him about, which he, he already knows. Like he, I know Will, what he says. Will's smart. He's so intelligent. He already knows what's wrong with him. But that's the irony of the character. He knows exactly what's wrong with himself for, right from the movie starts. He knows everything. But he still – he can't stop himself from acting that way of putting up those defenses of pushing people away on purpose because, you know, that's just ingrained in his emotional psyche 
that he, no one can I can't let anyone get close to me. So if anyone is coming close, I'm going to do whatever I can to self-sabotage that and make them want to leave or push them away. Yeah, self-destruction is a major character trait of Will Hunting. But also, I, I like to look at it as he approaches all of his relationships, besides the ones with, like, Chucky and the boys, as, you know, kind of the way he approaches mathematical equations where maybe he doesn't want to solve them right away, which is why, you know, Skylar, I don't want to call her on the second date when he has his session with, with Sean. He's like, oh, Christ, you're an amateur. Are you going to call her again? He's like, I don't know. This girl's prepping right now. I know right what I'm now. doing. I know I, what I'm doing. I've been late. Big time. Big, <laughs> big time. Big time. <laughs> where um, Sean's like, why aren't you going to call her again? He's like, I don't know. She's perfect right now. I don't want to mess that up. Maybe he's approaching his relationships like math equations where he's he's doing all the right moves to the point where he doesn't want it to fail. He's not trying to, to fail at solving the problem, but he's too afraid to finish the problem or finish the relationship. I would, I think that he does that with Skylar, not, not calling her and setting up a second date and not wanting to see her again because, like you said, he says she's perfect because... Will is on such another level from everybody, every single human being alive. He's on a different level from them. I think that when he spends enough time with people, he sees everything about them that is like lower than himself on a, on a mental, on an intelligence level. And since the, it's hard, like no one's as equal. Nobody alive is as equal. Lambeau is one of the smartest people alive. And he, Lambeau has a great line. There's only a few people who can tell the difference between you and you and I. And that difference is monumental because Lambeau can't even do, can't even think about uh, approaching the mathematics that is like child's play to Will. So I think that because Will is on such a high level of intellect, nobody comes even close to him. It's hard for him to develop a real relationship with someone who isn't on that same level as him. So I think that's why Skylar's perfect right now. I know very little about her. I don't know what she's really like. And I don't want to know because my fantasy of her is perfect. And he doesn't want to get in intimate. He doesn't want to get personal because that will make him maybe not want to be with that person anymore because he wants the fantasy. He doesn't want the real thing because he is shutting himself off. He doesn't let anyone get close. He doesn't. And like like um, Sean says, you don't know what it's like to look at a woman and feel completely vulnerable because he's never done that before. He's afraid of that. He doesn't understand that, you know, you have to, you're not perfect. You, you, you got to be humble. You got to be modest and you got to understand that you're, everyone's like going day by day and nobody is a perfect, even a genius is not perfect. So Will is struggling that, with that and that's why he doesn't want to see her for the second time. I think it's that and also the fear of abandonment and the pain he's gone through in his past where the yeah. only, the only family he knew growing up was pain and abuse from his his orphan father is his, his, uh what's his foster foster father and i think that's why will doesn't want to go after his potential and that's why he still hangs around with chucky and the boys because it's safe you know they're loyal to him like sean says they're the, they're, they would take a bat to anybody's head in a second for him and they're, they're the only family he's ever really known and he doesn't want to leave that he doesn't he's never left boston it's a safety net for him and ironically you know chucky wants him to leave at some point and you know, but Chucky, you know, he serves as that constant reminder of to Will of his past and again his only source of family. And I love Chucky, played by Ben Affleck. I think he's super funny in this film. He actually he's very wise too. You know, they have that great scene where they're talking about towards the end of the film after Skyler's gone, where he's talking about if you're still here in twenty years doing construction with me and going to Little League and we live next door, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> it's great because he he understands that like you have something we don't all we don't we all want. You know, you're sitting on a lottery ticket 
and it's more offensive to us for you to stay here with us than to go do something with it. You know, we'll, we'll kill you if you do that. And Chucky's not jealous of Will. That's what I love about him. But he can't stand the fact that Will is going to waste this potential over self-pride. It's, it's, it's a combination of pride and getting back to what you were just saying before Chucky. He's afraid to challenge himself. Sean points that out. Like, you know, you don't do anything to challenge yourself. Skylar points it out. Like, you're afraid to do anything that's difficult. Um, you, you, you'll solve these problems in the, in the shadows at MIT, but you won't let anyone know you did it. And you, you don't want to work or, or, or develop your, your talent, develop your skill, or try to do anything. You just want to, you know, coast in your safe place with your, your safe friends in your safe little apartment and never achieve anything. And that it's like, Fear is the mind killer. He's he's got this fear that prevents him from wanting to ever do anything and excel better himself. And it all comes from from the fear of challenging himself. And he doesn't want to do anything difficult because his past was so difficult. He went through so much trauma. He doesn't want to deal with any discomfort anymore. I think I don't think he wants to deal with anything that's psychologically troubling anymore. I think he just wants to take the easy path, the easy road, and just sit back and let life happen. But also self destructive elements as well and mm -hmm. character traits where you know he likes to fight and you know his rap sheet after he gets arrested and he's sitting with the judge and he's going through his rap sheet it's insane he's like assault assault uh armed robbery or, or impersonating an officer yeah grand theft auto and i love how he represents himself and incites laws and cases from like the 1800s <laughs> it's great but it's still the character is so complex where he, he would rather rot away in prison, really, than... Oh, he almost would rather rot away in prison than do math and psychiatry with Sean McGuire and Limbo. Yeah, because... Sean if, McGuire. I, well, I think he feels comfortable in prison because he doesn't have to do anything. Again, he doesn't have to challenge himself. He's in a safe spot, and he doesn't have to pretend he's something he's not. And so I think that for in a, in a crazy way, he kind of is... He accepts himself being in prison. You know, it's, it's just okay. Like, that's why he's, like, against going to therapy at first and then Lambeau's like it is better than prison isn't it and mm -hmm. then it takes him that moment to realize okay I think I should I can't if I can get out of here I will yeah and Lambeau's a really good character you know uh, Stellan Skarsgård's a phenomenal actor he was just you know Baron dude <laughs> dude reference <laughs> there it is uh, he's a highly accomplished mathematician and former college roommate of Shaw McGuire played by Robert Williams who you know he's trying to take Will under his wing academically and Lambeau he's kind of like Will you know he's highly arrogant himself Due to his accomplishments and his intellect, you know, he's got the Fields Medal um, of math Mathematics. And, but we soon find out that in comparison, Lambeau's intellect is basically like, like a squirrel compared to Will Hunting. You know, it's, it's nothing. It takes him decades to even do something that Will can do in minutes. You know, those, those proofs that he, he tries to destroy with the fire. He's like, it took us two years to even fathom the idea to do this, and you can do it in just a few minutes. And so the, the intellect is so different, but there's also this early father-son dynamic that's going on where it seems, you know, Lambeau does genuinely care for Will early on before he starts getting into more and more trouble after after those sessions start. I think my favorite scene with Lambeau is towards the end of the film when Matt lights the, I mean, when Will lights the papers on fire, the homework that he did for him, and he tries to blow it out. And he says, like, because the whole film, he seems so much more, he's trying to be more powerful than Will almost psychologically. He's trying to dominate him, but he really can't. But he seems just so weak and feeble compared to Will in this moment. You know, he's on his hands and knees trying to blow out the fire. You know how easy this is for me? This is a joke. And I have to come here and watch you guys all fuck it up. And so... Watch the language. Sorry, you can blurp him out. <laughs> I'm just being authentic to the film. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Lambeau's like, I wish 
that I never met. Like they're nice. They're, I wish I never met somebody like you because then I could sleep at night. Because this is breaking him down more than it's probably breaking Will down. Lambeau is a fascinating character, and, and that's a that right there is important. It's vital to his character because the thing with Lambeau, as successful as he is, as accomplished as he is, as respected as he is. Even before Will gets into his life, well, and then when when Will does get into his life, he's like, I am nothing compared to this godlike intellect. But even before that, we learn that you know him and Sean were roommates, and we we learn later in the film, Lambeau knows that Sean was smarter than him. He says, "You were smarter than me then. You're smarter than me now." And so I think that Lambeau has intense insecurity, which is why he acts so confident, why he acts so arrogant, why he tries to act with a dominant persona, because he knows deep down. He's he's really not even though he has the awards and the the respect he really isn't the smartest person in the room especially when Sean's in the room he knows how much smarter Sean is than he is and so I think he's always trying to make up for it with the way he behaves trying to act like this larger than life figure because he understands I am actually not the mo- I'm not the smartest person in the world people think I am and I think he it's kind of like his own defense mechanism of since people think I'm super super the smartest person alive I have to act like I'm the smartest person alive yeah, I think that's a great assessment. Nice Thanks. job. Thanks. And obviously, Sean, played by Robert Williams, is one of the best parts of this movie. He won the supporting actor for this, probably his best role. I mean, you could argue in that monologue at the Duck Pond is just incredible. One of the best scenes ever. And he reminds me so much of William Keating in mm-hmm. um, Dead Poets Society. It's kind of like if this was William Keating later on in life. He, if he had a wife and, and she died. Yeah. Well, you don't have to say, I mean, <laughs> I guess. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> morbid bruh well that's the character i know i know but yeah so sean because of the death death of his wife he he didn't probably pursue his passion i mean his potential because of that he's now seems to be an alcoholic drinking himself alone every night you know he's got a dish uh his sink is full of dirty dishes and he becomes will psychiatrist he's he teaches at bunker hill community college also bunker chill bunker chill kid and community colleges in New England are different than other parts of the country. They're sort of like a, a like wouldn't be considered like a normal university or a normal college. You do get credits, but it's it's kind of like a stepping stone to get up to there. Whereas like on the West Coast, they're kind of seem they they are treated as equal. I believe you can get legit credits on the West Coast, but on the East Coast, um, it's more of like if I get good grades for a year in community college, then a, a, I can get accepted into a, a good university. Yeah, so I don't think all credits transfer, but I think yeah. some of them do depending on the courses. Um, Sean is also from Southie, so he understands Will's life better than any of the other psychiatrists that were that are trying to see him. You know, the hypnotists and, ooh, you really <laughs> hypnotized me there. And Sean, you know, he's sort of like Will where they're both at these plateaus or walls in their lives. And what I love about their therapy is that they both transform and they both grow from being with each other equally. And before we continue, if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some brand new laptops on our desks. These are courtesy of LG. They are the 17-inch LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing about them is their 16 by 10 aspect ratio, which means more vertical space, awesome for editing, awesome for referring to notes for the show, as well as the screens and displays are exceptional. Love watching movies on these. Been watching Succession on it all week. It's incredible. Um, honestly, these are also the lightest laptops I've ever held in my entire life. We'll put links in our YouTube video bio for the LG Gram 16-inch and 17-inch models. Thank you so much, LG, for these incredible laptops and for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year. Our other amazing sponsor, Arc Studio Pro, the fantastic screenwriting software, actually have their own podcast coming out very soon. It's called How I Write. This podcast will premiere on November 12th, so keep an eye out for it. Subscribe and be sure to tune into it. This podcast will... 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We'll interview all sorts of screenwriters, including David Gordon Green, who just wrote and directed Halloween Kills, Misha Green, who wrote Lovecraft County, and Jim Cummings, who wrote Thunder Road. They'll, they'll ask these screenwriters certain questions like, how do screenplays actually get written? How long does David Gordon Green sit down to write at a time? And how do they keep their notes and ideas? Learn from the pros and be sure to check out the How I Write podcast, November 12th. Head on over to that podcast now, subscribe, and keep tuning in to their show. And don't forget to head on over to arcstudiopro.com slash Raiders to get $30 off your membership at Arc Studio. And in terms of Robin Williams in this film, he he's the best actor. He gives an, a, one of the best performances you've seen in the last 30 years or so. And I do think that monologue at the, at the pond is what got him his Oscar. It's really some of the best acting you'll see. And... Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were very, very smart of how they wrote this script and the part of Sean. Now, when they approached writing the character, um, they didn't actually have a gender picked out in mind for the character. They just knew if we write a really juicy role, if we write an amazing part, that could really help us land a great actor or actress. They called it their uh, Harvey Keitel role. Exactly. So Harvey Keitel, like helping Tarantino out with Reservoir Dogs, that's ultimately how Tarantino got Reservoir Dogs made once Harvey Keitel signed on. And the same thing happened here where once Robin Williams signed on, that basically got the movie made. And he only signed on because the part was so well written and it's such a great character, he couldn't pass it up. And so it really worked out. And, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they wrote it like, they were like, we, we can write it this way so like if Meryl Streep wants to do it, we can just change the gender to a female therapist and, and vice versa. If it's an older person, we can change it. If it's a, it's a younger actor, we can change it for that. So they kept this part open-ended as a way to get a big star involved in the project and ultimately paid off. And in, in terms of Matt Damon's success after this, he got the part of Saving Private Ryan because of making this movie. And what happened was they were on set filming and Steven Spielberg was filming nearby in in Massachusetts, and he went to visit the set because he, Spielberg and Gus Van Sant are friends, you know, great directors. And when Spielberg visited the set for Goodwill Hunting, he and Matt Damon would like were talking and chatting, and he was watching him act, and they really hit it off. And Spielberg was like, you know, I'm working on this movie, and I'm looking for this part of this soldier named Ryan, and I feel like you are like exactly what I imagine the character to be like. And so Matt Damon got cast in Saving Private Ryan because Good Will Hunting got made. So in a way, Robin Williams facilitated and was the big catalyst for the success of Damon and Affleck. Well, also, Spielberg wasn't expecting Matt Damon to become a huge movie star. Yeah. And then that kind of affected the film, you could say, when Saving Private Ryan came out after the release of Good Will Hunting, I believe, yeah. right? Yeah. And so now they had a star where he wanted an unknown actor for the most part. But you know what? They both worked out pretty well in great films. And I love, love, love every scene that Will and Sean have together. I think they're the best parts of the movie. And um, I love their first meeting where, you know, Will has been to a couple therapists and, you know, he's very defensive and basically makes fun of them in their profession in a way. And then I love his interactions with 
Sean, just in the first one where he's on the on the offensive, attacking the entire time like a dog, ready to go, and doesn't give Sean really any time to try to analyze him. He just spends the whole time analyzing Sean instead, and it's, it's really great scene. But I think as their relationship grows, you know, then they have the the scene where they're the, the first person who talks loses, and that's after the duck <laughs> pond scene, obviously, which is an incredible incredible piece of dialogue from Robin, Robin Williams. I want to say about the first scene, um, that's actually really great. Um, representation of therapy because the first few sessions of therapists they're in therapy therapists try to do as much listening as they can so they can understand how the person they're treating thinks uh, what motivates them how they're acting and behaving so that really helps inform the therapist of how to approach their help their their work and so i think there was a really great accurate example of therapy of like obviously he's he's letting he's asking will pretty much letting him do all the talking and letting him presents himself and his his personality and how he's thinking and that is I think super accurate. Yeah, I don't I've never done therapy. I don't know any therapists or or anything, so I don't, I don't know what it's really like. But and I don't know if the film's accurate in terms of the portrayal of the sessions. But I can say that it's I think the best in film I've seen in terms of an entertainment value and an emotional effect. I think that no other movie's done it better than Goomba Hunting. Yeah, I've never done it either, so I can't attest to how accurate it all is. But I think they. Uh, I think they got pretty close. It, they had to have. It seems really great. Yeah, but it seems, and also Sean's the only person that could have got down, broke down Will, and, and you know, got around to him because I think that scene in the duck pond after he responds and rebut, it's a basically a rebuttal to uh, Will tearing his life apart after looking at the painting. It's really great because you know he he analyzes and breaks down Will, which no one's ever done before, probably emotionally. Usually, it's just physically people abusing Will, but now someone just broke him down psychologically. It's it's really it's really important and impactful on Will because what Sean's doing in that scene is saying, it doesn't matter how smart you are, you've never done anything. It doesn't matter how intelligent your mind is, how how vast your intellect is, you've never experienced anything in life. You've never left, and so. Will has never um, been approached like that and never been told that in his entire life. You know, he's he knows he's a, an absolute genius and nobody is even close to his intellect. But Sean's right. He's never done anything. He's never experiencing anything unique in his life, in his world. And that really shatters Will. Yeah. So it's like, what's the point of being a super genius if you don't do anything with it? Yeah. And it, all you do is read books. And you think you know everything, but you don't know anything about life. Yeah. And that's why he fell into oh, that. Oh, what a great scene. Fell into that peaceful sleep. I think it's time for our intermission. I was just about to say that too. Let's let's head wow, on in. Great minds think alike. And we'll begin with our movie quote competition. So I have one from Tommy Stack. Let's see, Tommy. You were once a vegan, now you will be gone. <laughs> no, hold on, let me say it again. You were once a vegan, now you will be gone. Vegan. <laughs> Chicken isn't vegan. <laughs> Mil- Wait, was it gelato isn't vegan? It's milk and eggs, bitch. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. Yep. <laughs> Love that. Movie. Chicken isn't vegan? <laughs> Here's my quote. If you want to be president, you can start a war, you can lie, you can cheat, you can bankrupt the country, but you can't F the interns. They'll get you for that. Oh, uh, I like this movie a lot. Ides of March. Nice. Good one. Great, great choice. Yeah. George Clooney, I think that's his best movie. That he's directed. Yeah, it could be. Probably. Yeah. Um, all right. Guess this movie release year. This is a Gus Van Sant film. Elephant. 2004. 2003. Oh, Incredible, so incredible, disturbing, dark movie. It's about the Columbine shooting. 
Not, not specifically. But I mean, it's, a, it's another. It's an example of it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah it's like an, it's interpreta- shooting, it's an interpretation yeah. of the Columbine shooting. Yeah. Here's my movie release year. Rollerball, the James Can one. <laughs> oh, okay, James Can, the original. Yeah. Um, the first, the the sequel. I mean, the remake is pretty. It's so bad. Original is 1976. 75. You were uh, so close. I knew it was 70. We were both off by one year. We're getting better. We're getting pretty good. <laughs> you still have the worst guess. No, you were. I had never even heard of that movie before. I had never even heard of it. Who has the worst guess? I had never even heard of it's it. Not my problem. <laughs> Get out of here. All right, <laughs> movie pop quiz time. Early in his career, Ben Affleck broke his ankle during a scene of an iconic movie and finished the scene out. What was the movie? Early in his career, iconic movie. Okay. Yeah, I threw in some hints in there. Can you repeat it again? Early in his career, Benjamin Affleck <laughs> <laughs> broke his ankle during a scene of an iconic film. What was the movie? Armageddon. No. <sighs> Earlier. Earlier. Um, <laughs> Daredevil. Wait no, earlier than Armageddon. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> it's not good. Well, I think shoot. What was? What do you do in between them? Um, iconic movie. Iconic movie. What was he in? That was. Oh, was it? Um, Jane, Jane and Silent Bob. No, it's not an iconic movie. Uh, <laughs> it's way before that. <laughs> Jane and Silent Bob. Um, I don't know. Dazed and confused. Oh, so he plays yeah. the bully. I think his name is O'Banion. Yeah, O'Banion in um the scene where he's about to hit one of the boys, the high schoolers, with the stick, the paddle, and the kids on the roof dump paint on him, uh-huh. and then he has like a, an outrage, an outburst, yeah. and he he kicks. I think he kicks his car, uh-huh. and he shattered his ankle. And then he finished the scene, and you can watch. He's like his ankle. You can see is like bent sideways, Oof. and he walks into his car and drives away. He finishes the scene up, but fortunately that was the last scene that he shot. Oh, nice. But yeah, he shattered his ankle on that shot. I totally blanked that he was in that movie. Yeah, I totally I, forgot. It's an iconic movie. It's great, great Jane question. Bob. <laughs> No, no, the um, the mall. yeah, the one in the mall, mall, mall rats. rats. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> it was mall. I was thinking mall rats. Okay, I'm, why do I even host a podcast? I, don't I, know, I should. Man. I should leave. I have no idea. <laughs> I should find a co-host. A here's, new one. Here's my quiz. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and many upcoming famous lead actors were up for the lead role in one film. However, Brendan Brendan Fraser won the role. What was the movie? I feel like it's a trap question. A trap question? How? It's not the mummy. It's not the mummy. Or is it the mummy? <laughs> Let's see. What was Brendan Fraser in earlier? That was that was really really good. I mean, could it be the mummy? Did you say Leo DiCaprio? All right, it's definitely not the mummy then. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and a bunch of like who ended up becoming great lead actors in Hollywood. They were all very young, and they were all up for this role. And Fraser got it in. It was like the most vied for role for the people in that age. The mummy. <laughs> <laughs> School ties. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But aren't but they're in it. Yeah, they're all ben in and it. And Matt's in it. Yeah, yeah, but they they all went oh, up I for the lead. Forgot about that. Yeah. And then isn't Ethan Chris Hawk, O'Donnell, Ethan, Ethan Hawke? Yeah. yeah. Man, oh. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. Crap, dude. Yeah. A bunch of great actors were in that movie. It's a good one. Thanks. Classic. Yeah. All right, uh, what do we got for hater of the week, man? Is it got we got few. we got a real one? Oh yeah, we got a real we, one. We got some fun unsubscribed yeah. ones. Of course, of course we do. Yeah, I love to hear of course. these. Of course, of course. Let me pull them up. Okay, we got a couple of really bad haters today. I mean this this past week. There's one hater. I'm not even. I don't even want to mention it because he seems like a psychotic person really? who might give us like bad reviews. Yeah, and, Max guy. Yeah. No, <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that guy. But I don't want to say his name. No, he or... listens to the show. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he must not. But this guy was just like berating us about IMAX for the last last two weeks. But on a clip I posted of Inception describing how Nolan really put a practical train in LA and drove it through the city, yeah. crashing into cars. It's yeah. not CGI. It's like he got a real freight train for that scene. And then Well It Hurts Me wrote, it wasn't an actual train. It was a semi-truck with a train casing on top of it. And I wrote... Bro, is there a train smashing into stuff or not? <laughs> I was like, come on, man. Just just stop. Just stop. Okay, but then our... our... It, it bashes into like eight cars. It's a real train. That's it's what I was saying. My God. The thing is we, he... Obviously, we know there aren't... A train has to have tracks to go, obviously. We know that. And then um, got some fun unsubscribed ones here. Craig Coleman wrote... This is one of my all-time favorite movies, and I'm so excited to listen to it today. Both, if, This is Ready Player One. If you both haven't read the book, then I will definitely be unsubscribed. Anthony hasn't yet. I have not. And then I made a post about the original Star Wars artwork, and Combucket Bucket Co. wrote, Are those illustrations in IMAX? Unsubscribed. <laughs> 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 and then uh, Anthony DeMeo, DeMeonez, wrote, for Ready Player One, but what if there were two players unsubscribed? <laughs> well, Ready Player Two, the book came out. I haven't read it. I've actually heard very mixed, bad things, very mixed reviews about Ready Player Two. Um, so I don't know if I'll, I'll check it out. Maybe someday, but I, I recommend the first book big time if you haven't read it yet. Big time. All right, let's get into our biggest supporters for this episode. First, we want to thank Clay from Ironborn Forgeworks, who made us an authentic. Urukai sword from Lord of the Rings. So the Urukai, they have that very specific scary looking sword. He made a freaking giant iron sword of us and for us. If you watch it on YouTube, I have it right here he, on Anthony, screen. Yeah, Anthony has it on his hands. In in his hands. It's it's insane. It's like four feet long, literally made of it's a, literally a sword, Urukai, with the big tip at the end that goes sideways. It's it's really, really cool. So thank you so much, Clay, for making that for us. We also have a bunch of excellent reviews. Here's here's a five star review that I like. Best mo- movie podcast on the the air from X Dive for something X. This podcast is a must listen for any movie fan out there. They are passionate about film, and the way they break down movies and dive into the details is outstanding. Give them a shot. I know you'll become a super fan. They do claim to be twins, but the one on the left is way hotter than the one on the right. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> That's why I picked it. <laughs> Thank you, X. Gonna feed that ego. Thank you, X Dive for something X. <laughs> hey, I, I, I still love you. <laughs> um, yeah, so this sword is sweet. Well, let me get rid of it. On this day in film history, today is November 8th. In 1999, The World Is Not Enough premiered. In 2000, How the Grinch I Stole, How the Grinch Stole Christmas came out in 2000. Eight Mile came out in 2002. Thor, The Dark World came out in 2013. Let's do that one again. Thor, The Dark World came out in 2013. Claus came out in 2019. Or Klaus. Oh, Klaus. Santa Claus. Santa Origins. Origins. And Alex Trebek passed away in 2020. Rest in peace. So sad. My stream recommendation, sorry to butt in, is Succession. I think you've already brought this up, but I just started watching this per many recommendations. Incredible. That was my streamer recommendation too. No way. Yeah, and way. it's on HBO Max, right? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Y'all got to check so, it out. Because now that I have time to watch TV shows, a bunch of people have been asking us to, to check out Succession. It's incredible. So thank you so much for the recommendations. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. It's so amazing. It's the best show on TV right now. All right, let's get back into Goodwill Hunting. And what were we talking about? We were talking about Sean, played by Robin Williams, I believe. We were. 
And so where do we leave off though? I can't remember. Therapy sessions. Therapy sessions. So again, the therapy sessions are incredible. And Sean, like like Will, he has a lot of pain in his past. You know, his his wife had cancer and was sick for I think seven years total is what he was what he said, you know, and then he said like the first five years were as tough tough, but then the last two years when it got really tough and really bad. And so because of the death of his wife, Sean, like I said, has become pretty much you could say an alcoholic. He's drinking himself to sleep probably every night alone, not really nothing around, just him and his thoughts with the alcohol in the bottle and this trauma is haunting him just like will's childhood trauma haunts him as well and they both need the other person in these therapy sessions to kind of be freed of their past and to move on with their lives you know when when sean criticizes will for you know not wanting to get to know somebody you know it's a super philosophy you can go the rest of your life without ever knowing anybody and then will throws it back in his face for the same thing and he's like my wife's dead he's like so why not meet somebody new he's like my wife's dead so they both have the same kind of problem where they don't want to meet new people they don't want to experience life anymore and sean also he uses his own experiences to help sean to help will understand things about himself so for example when it comes to Skylar and Will thinking she's perfect and not wanting to go, to go out with her again because he doesn't want to really get to know her because then he's afraid that she's he's not going to like her. He's afraid that her perfect status will be reduced and then it won't work out. Sean tells a story about, you know, his wife farting in bed and all her little picadillos. And these are like the little idiosyncrasies that only he knows about her. He's telling her like he's telling Will like. The fantasy of of a person isn't who you fall in love with. It's it's the intimacy and everything you know, every little thing about your partner, and even the things that are embarrassing, and even the things that sometimes you don't like. And those are the good things, you know. What I mean, and he's trying to make Will understand that uh, this Skylar, she's perfect because you don't know her yet, and it real intimacy intimacy comes from truly getting to know someone truly experiencing life together as a partnership and that is that really helps will to understand that he needs to let skylar in and actually form a real bond with her yeah skylar's a great character too many drivers exceptional in this movie i can't believe she didn't get nominated yeah she's so good in this and um you know i think that the way they meet the way that will meet skylar is kind of a reflection of his psychology of his life at that point where you know he showcases his exceptional gifts to defend his to defend chucky in front of that the harvard bully the ponytail (laughs) and he shows his toughness for everybody to see so you know he's like acting cool and tough you know he asks him oh we can just step outside if you got a real problem no no problem and skylar clearly is interested in him she's looking at him and watching him and is impressed but will chooses not to talk to her and she at the end of the night goes up to him is like you're an idiot. I've been over there at the end of the bar waiting for you to come talk to me the whole night, but now I'm tired and I have to go home. And she gives him her number. So that's kind of a, a, a great metaphor for the way he lives his life in terms of his genius. That's a great point because it's it's also his fear of challenging himself. You know, it's challenging to walk up to a girl and try and talk to her or anyone else you're interested in. You know, it takes, you have to go overcome that fear. And Will lets fear drive him and he lets fear dominate his life. And so he doesn't like to try to pursue he doesn't like to go up against fear and so that's a you're right that's a great example of his personality in a nutshell he's extremely confident he can win any kind of mental battle he's a loyal great friend he has a great morality and honor but he's afraid to push himself yes yeah, it's, it's not that he's afraid to talk to a girl it's that he's afraid of a girl getting to know him that's what yeah. i think he's afraid of not well, like I, I think it's both i think he's afraid of the challenge 
of challenging himself. I don't think. I, no, well, I do. I disagree. I don't think he's afraid to talk to her. It's hey. just, I think he doesn't want her to get to know her. How dare you disagree with me? <laughs> How dare you? But, but like Will and Sean, Skylar also has a past of trauma where her father died, and you know she's she's filled with pain and regret, and 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 you know all sorts of terrible emotions. <laughs> where would I, I go with that sentence? Yo, she's, well, filled, get in. she's filled with pain from that past trauma of her of her father passing, and you know Will uses. Her trust fund, or not her trust fund, her inheritance from her father's death as a weapon against her. You know, at first he's like, oh, I'm sure they were happy to pay for it. And then he learns that it was an inheritance from her father and that, you know, she's just a rich kid who came to Boston. She wants to go slumming with some kid from some from Selfie. Whereas she it, tells him that, like, I would give that up in a second, all of that money that pays for my education to have one more day with my father. Yeah, he's judging her for something something she never asked for. And he's throwing classism into the relationship. Like, I'm a lower class citizen, and you're a higher class citizen. So you're just you're you're just dating me, so you can tell your friends I went slumming too. So that means like I, I went, I dated like a, a guy from the streets too. You know what I mean? So he's he's putting classism into the relationship, which is a terrible thing to do. And it's gonna divide them for sure. Yeah, and Skylar is in love with her, with them, <laughs> in love with herself. Skylar's in love with Will. And, you know, Will probably is in love with Skylar, too, but he doesn't want to admit it. He doesn't even want to admit it to the audience or anything. And, you know, halfway through when when Skylar asks Will to come to California to go to San Francisco with her when she goes to school Stanford. at Stanford. Is that San Francisco? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he turns it down and he doesn't want to go. And that's when he gets the defense mechanism up and he, he tells her, like, the truth, really. That's how the truth comes out about him being an orphan, how he was abused, how he was stabbed out. The, the guy put cigarettes out on him. You don't want to hear that. And she's she, you know, says, I want to help you. I, I didn't think she mean it in the way. But, you know, by saying that, he's like, what am I, a charity case? And so he self-destructs pretty much every relationship he has besides the ones with Chucky and the boys. He leaves her out of fear of her leaving him. That's like he, he walks out and lies and says he doesn't love her, which is a complete lie. Because and he leaves because he doesn't want her to leave him, and that's why when she first addresses the idea of moving to California together, he's immediately worried about like, what if you find out something about me and you you don't like me anymore, and you and you want to get out of out of this relationship? Then I'm stuck there. So he's immediately afraid of being left by her. Yeah, he uses his genius intellect as a defense mechanism, as a weapon, basically. You know, the same thing with when Lambeau sets up the psychologist appointments with him, he attacks all their methods and works. When Will. Clear Really feels that Sean McGuire is probably the biggest threat he's faced so far. That's why he attacks him so much and completely destroys his life compared to just messing with the other psychiatrists. He really gets to Sean's. He really tries to just go after Sean's internal psychological trauma and try to analyze it. There, and there's another great example of Lambeau's insecurity towards Will. And it's when he and Sean go to the bar, go to the bar to get some sandwiches. And they're trying to settle. They're trying to decide how to approach how to approach Will and Lambeau is trying to force Will into you know doing work and getting your act together and get, get a, a job. job and then Sean is trying to make Will slowly accept himself and accept his past and understand that nothing that happened was his fault and make an emotional revelation and that's the only way I that will and Sean understands that's the only way that Will will ever find success in life not just you know monetary career success but success as a human being and so they're conflicting father figure views. And they do this bet with the bartender. And they ask the bartender, have you heard of Albert Einstein? And the other person they say, and the bartender's like, yeah, of course. And then and then they ask the bartender, have you ever heard of Gerald Lambeau? So Lambeau, they're asking. 
And the bartender says, never heard of him. And so Lambeau right there, <clears throat> he's literally self-deprecating himself saying, I will, I will never be someone that the entire world knows the name of. So it's not about my arrogance. No, what, what I'm saying is, what I'm getting at is, he understands that Will can be that kind of person, that kind of figure in the world. And that is part of why Lambeau hates knowing that Will is alive because he will never, ever, nobody will, people in his circle know who he is. People in the sciences, maths world, the STEM worlds know who he is, but the world will never know Lambeau's name. Yeah, but the point of Lambeau bringing that up to the bartender is because Will, I'm pretty sure Sean says something about it's not about your arrogance. And Will, and Lambeau's trying to be like, it's not about my name anymore. It's not about me. It's not about my name. Because see, this bartender doesn't know my name. I don't care yeah. about that anymore. I kind of just want to see. I think no. I think I think he really cares about that. That's why he can't. That's why he stays up. He can't sleep at night knowing that Will's alive. That's I don't think it's I'm about saying. like being famous or anything like that. I think that it's not about his arrogance. That's why he does that. No, I think that Lambeau wants. He he wishes he was yeah, as famous course, as Einstein. Yeah, is what I'm sure. saying, and that's why he is so insecure of Will being alive and having to know that he exists. But then the best part I think of that scene after that is when he brings up, Sean brings up another name. He brings up the name of the Unabomber. Who Mike was, Kaczynski. Who was, yeah, yeah Kaczynski, right? Yeah. He was like very... Ted Kaczynski. He, he, was, yeah. he was a prodigy, you know, he's a very accomplished uh, student and everything, and then he went off and, you know, became a murderer. And so, what Sean's doing is like, do you, I'm not saying that Will's gonna become a murderer, but do you want to set him off? Like, this kind of person if you mess with him the wrong way or if you keep push if you if you push him in the wrong direction or maybe when he's not ready pushing him that way what could happen like it could be worse than an average person kind of just having a breakdown yeah lambeau wants will to be a, a historical figure someone who can impact the world in such a big way that everyone knows his name and then sean is is the opposite saying what if he doesn't want to do that what if that's not who he wants to be you know he he has a right to reject that although he shouldn't be throwing his life away but he definitely has a right to reject having to be this uh, historical figure that you have in, him set out to be in your mind it's almost like a father mother relationship where like sean's like the more nurturing motherly yeah. kind of personality whereas limbo is like the father kind of like being more aggressive in terms of pushing them towards a specific goal yeah like nature versus nurture yeah. for sure that's a great point yeah and i know will hunting doesn't have much you know he doesn't have a dollar to his name but i know chucky could use that he doesn't have a dollar to he his could name use that retainer 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 on some new products from manscaped including their lawnmower 4.0 groomer as well as their brand new manscaped two-in-one shampoo conditioner and body wash which just came out use our coupon code raiders of the lost at checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping from manscaped.com the best grooming products you can find are from manscaped and i'm telling you they have some more amazing stuff coming out this month in november we have to be secret about it but i'm telling you they're expanding their entire line where guys you're going to be able to get pretty much everything you need for like toiletries men's grooming whatever taking care of your body your hair you're going to be able to get it all from manscaped which i think is just such a great move on the company to expand Band like that so again join the two million men worldwide get the lawnmower 4.0 get the performance package 4.0 these new these new uh, products and everything from manscaped.com using our coupon code raiders of the lost at checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping you know this really helps the show that keeps the lights on so everybody who's been sending us photos of their lawnmower groomers and products thank you so much we really appreciate it and it is now time for our free movie poster giveaway contest now this is in support of movieposters.com head on over to their website and use our promo code Raiders 10 to get 10% off your order at movieposters.com, the best place to get posters online. So all you have to do to enter this contest is comment on the Goodwill Hunting YouTube video. Just make a comment in that thread. Make Say anything, your favorite movie, say how much you love the film, whatever. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
that will automatically enter you into the contest. And in one week, we will do a drawing to see who won the free movie poster. And you're going to let us know which poster you want. Any poster that MoviePosters.com has, they will send to you free of charge. So go ahead, head on over to our YouTube channel, subscribe, comment on the Goodwill Hunting episode, and that will enter you into the contest. Good luck, everyone. But the complexity of Will is, you know, the amount of potential he has, and he's starting to develop these relationships, and it seems like the therapy's working. You know, he's been going on dates with Skylar, and then that's when he starts to self-destruct and throws everything away. He destroys his relationship with Skylar. He destroys his relationship with Lambeau. And it's really only his relationship with Sean that's kind of keeping him afloat, you could say. And also Chucky and the boys and Morgan and everything. But him and Sean have become friends, and, you know— it's, it gets to the point where after Lambeau and Sean have that conversation at the bar with the sandwiches, where now Sean kind of has to expedite things a little bit. He's trying to get him to either – you have to decide what you want to do with your life. You know, you don't have to do these jobs, but you have to choose soon. You, you can't do this forever. You're turn, you're turn, you just turn 21 almost, or yeah, you're he, turning 21. He's at, he keeps asking, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he's like, you can't even give me a simple answer. You can't even answer that simple question. So it's kind of like you could say – Maybe Will looks at it, at it as sort of an attack on him where, like, I thought we were friends. Like, why are you doing this to me? You're doing it just like everybody else. And what if I, I'm not ready to move on? I'm not ready to change. And I'm not ready to take a leap somewhere. Exactly. It's, and it leads to the emotional breakthrough that Will needed and also Sean needed as well. And it's a, it's one of the best scenes of the film. And I always cry when I see the scene of Will breaking down when, when Sean, he's got his file. He's like, what's it saying? It Will has abandonment issues, you know self-sabotaged and sean's like yeah yeah but then he goes up to will it's not your fault over and over again it's not your fault and then will like chuckles at it at first but then he starts breaking down and eventually starts crying and then you finally see will embrace his vulnerability you finally see will completely let himself open up open up and his emotion pours out of him and it's such a powerful scene matt damon just clutching Robin Williams' body and just weeping into his arms is amazing. Yeah, and I love the way that Gus filmed this scene. And when I watch it, I always just see, I don't see Will hunting as an adult anymore. I always see Will hunting as a child right there, like a little boy yeah. clutching onto yeah. a father figure, just trying to let all the pain out of that he's been holding in for so long. So he's he's basically like a little boy crying right there. That's what it seems like. Sean's the first like real father he's ever had, which is why when therapy's over, He's like, I hope we can, you know, stay in touch. And then Sean's like, yeah, I hope the same. And so I think that Sean, Sean will be Will's father figure for the rest of his life, you yeah. can say. And so it, that's one of the best scenes ever. And I, I love before that session starts where Lambeau and Sean kind of have their final fight where they're going back and forth and, you know, and Lambo is like, oh, it's all about my medal and everything. I knew medal. you could have it. I'll go, I'll go home and get it. You can have the medal. <laughs> <laughs> Great Stellan impression. <laughs> but, you know, that's where Sean's trying to convince him. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's about what the boy wants. And we can't push him too hard. And eventually, I love how they, they make up to and they, they get along later. Well, on. yeah, they haven't overcome their past. You know what I mean? And Lambo obviously is still jealous about how Sean is the better mind than he is. And then Sean, you can – Sean – says he doesn't care about the medal and he doesn't care about success but i think in parts of him really do because like the first time lambeau sees sean when he walks into his classroom the first thing sean says to his class is that oh he's the fields medal winner like this is the first thing he mentions to the class he didn't have to we're in the presence of greatness yeah exactly so i think that Sh sean it, it it's in the back of his mind lambeau winning the medal and also sean is dealing with i know he doesn't regret his wife 
and he doesn't regret what he does. But I think in the back of his mind, he's like he he knows of his un, untapped potential. He knows of what he could have done. So you can't blame him for like that being in the back of his head, I think. And so he he's always kind of dealing with that whenever he sees Lambeau. And that's why he's so yeah. attached to Will and so interested and fascinating in the character because just like Sean, Will has immense untapped potential as well. Exactly. So I think that Sean is always battling with that idea that I didn't become what I could have and my friend became that. And so whenever he sees Lambeau, it's a reminder of that. Yeah. So they have a very complex relationship where Lambeau knows that I achieved all this stuff, but I'm not as smart as Sean is. Yeah, but again, it's not because he regrets not achieving that potential. It's the same thing how he doesn't regret missing the Red Sox game yeah. where it was Pudge. Like, Pudge hits the home yeah. run. I didn't know Pudge was going to hit a homer <laughs> in uh, game six. And we, well, obviously, the Red Sox didn't win the World Series. Or yeah, anything. It's, yeah, it's just the ALCS. <laughs> it was the World Series, yeah. But um, And then he doesn't regret that. He doesn't regret the cancer and the years that he had to— uh, be by his his wife's side, so he doesn't regret anything really. It's just like you said, it's kind of just in the back of his head as a reminder. And every time he sees Lambeau, he's reminded of you know what Lambeau achieved, what he, when what he could have achieved. Yeah. So all these characters are they they overcome their past trauma and their their past difficulties, uh, unsolved issues in this film, yeah. except for the crew because you could say they're they're just like chilling. They accepted their lives yeah chucky's like yeah. i i i'm gonna be here yeah. for 20 years i'll be doing the same thing and that's fine that's okay but you you're sitting on a lot of winning lottery ticket <laughs> if you don't get the fuck out of here i'm gonna kill i'll kill you i'll kill you what are you talking about we'll be we'll be taking our kids down the little league we'll live next to each other <laughs> love chucky in this movie so funny you just love ben affleck i do love ben affleck <laughs> As soon as we watched it last week, I was like, "It's Ben." <laughs> you light up when you see him. You, look at you; you're glowing. Your you your That's smile the, is so that big. That is the lighting. Talking about Ben That's Affleck, you just like a, you're like a proud father talking about how your son just walked for the first time. It's a pretty oh, big deal. Oh, Betty. Oh, Benjamin. Benjamin. <laughs> I love Ben. Goodwill Hunting is one of my favorite movies. It really is. No matter how many times I see it, I just like we watched it the other day to prepare for it. And it wants to start. I was like, I was like, I'm just gonna watch like 15 minutes, then I'm gonna go watch something else because I've seen it like 30 times. And then when it started playing, I was like, all right, I'll be here for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's so so good, and and the obviously we've really only talked about the dramatic elements of it, but it's so funny. It yeah, is laugh really out loud funny. funny, and there's so many iconic scenes like the Harvard bar scene, which yeah. is like the pop culture of this film. It's still relevant in terms of like that scene. And again, it was in Jane Silent Bob where they reenacted it, sort of. It's like hunting season again. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> the how you like them apples that is still relevant in pop culture. It's the, still used. The the sandwich I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put your sandwich on layaway. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> so Give me your 16 cents. Not in my, not in my little league glove. Yeah, the, the banter between the friends. If you're gonna, yeah. you, you're gonna watch. You gotta stop watching pornos in my mother's room. You got <laughs> another room with a VCR. It's the only place with a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> the car and yeah, Cole Hauser is awesome. Yeah, he actually asked to get most of his dialogue removed and given to Morgan, Casey because, Affleck. Yeah, because he had a an idea of portraying this character who's like super quiet. And whenever you're watching the scene of the crew, Cole Hauser is always in the shot. And he's actually doing so much in his role with, with like very minimal dialogue. And he, he like seems like he's just like a real part of this gang, like this guy who's just, you know, going day by day. You know, he drinks a lot and, you know, life's tough, you know. I mean, I think he represents that 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 realistic view of like, you know, I'm I life can be difficult, but I'm dealing with it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think he's amazing in this movie. And the comedy, it really helps keep this movie going because yeah. I love dramatic films, but I think the comedy just keeps it more upbeat and keeps the energy of the film alive. Yeah. And I mean, 
put, yeah, putting your sandwich on layaway. Retainer. Retainer. You suspect. <laughs> I, I was just saying your interest would be improved if I had $200 in my pocket right now. The uncle story and, the, and then the, the old couple Patty story. Yeah, from, from Mini Driver's character. <laughs> Give us a kiss. <laughs> oh, Maddie. That's the most amazing entire earth shattering thing. <laughs> I want a blowjob. <laughs> it's great. It's such a funny movie. Yeah. Oh, this is a habit, but huh? <laughs> so, so good. But yeah, overall. Top, we adore this. Top 20 in my yeah. list. It's probably my top 20 amazing, for sure. Amazing. Love, love, love. We used to watch this all the time when we were kids. All right, so what do you think? Who do you think is the MVP of this movie? Oh, it's got to be Matt. Nice. Nice pick. Matt Damon. I would say I would say Matt because he wrote it as well. So it's got to be Matt for the MVP. Yeah, co-writing, then acting. His performance is incredible. He's in almost every scene, you know. What is the best scene? Um, I think the best scene is the breakthrough. That's a good one, yeah. I no, think... It's not your fault. Yeah, I think I could go with that one too. That or I, I, I love the baseball story too. Yeah, that's a good one. I would say the I would say the breakthrough scene is my favorite. What's the, who's the best actor? Uh, uh it's got to be Robin Williams, hundred yeah. percent. Got to give it to Robin. Robin stole it. My God. And now we will do our top tier Patreon shout out. Thank you to all patrons for your support. Justin, Caleb Fleming, Michael Caranja, Nate Moore, Harry Roscoe, Caitlin Signorelli. Travis Ball, Nicola Simeona, Jacob Kostler, Jorge Chavez, Caleb McFalls, Ken Bolin, Dennis, Sal Guanera, Max Rosk, Justin T. Frank, Lauren Smertz, Grayson Younts, Cole Carroll, Christopher Tunnel, Tanner Teagarden, Madison Jaramillo, Barrett Compton, Andy Walker, TJ Rollins, Andrew Lukler, Christian Carter, Nicholas Ozaniak, Timon Hayashi, Caitlin Callahan, Sarai Rogers, Charles McLaughlin, Brandon Smith, Ethan Storm, Devin Udarium, Derek Noonan, Mariam Ally, Brooke Shanks, Stephen Guidos, Simon Tooze, Brittany Underwood, Jeremy Slattery, Jeremy Benavidez, Cody Moan, Samantha Steele, Frank Caraglio, Michael Kelly, Josh Coburn, Joe Lopez, Rachel Von Den Heuvel, Kayla McCoy, Brian Barton, Archie Owen, Derek Perkins, Daniel, a.k.a. Just Dan the Man, Olivia Pacini, Megan Costa, Chris Farmer, Patrick Clausen, Desiree Gonzalez, Luke Clark, Joanna Trinina, Anthony Limpares, Colleen Medlar, Matthew Fires, Britton Bomber, Ariel Trankel, Spencer Pike, Anthony Farmer, Lauren Kimberly, Maxwell McCree, Gabriel Townsend, Hayden Hensley, Odin Childs, Evan Smith, Leslie Miranda, Casey McWheels, Tom Collum times two, Adam Bairdsley, Anthony DeMeo, Melissa Colguin, Andrew Hagen, Connor Bird, Andre Sanchez, Andre Sanchez, Janice AKA Jay Nice, Colin Cowart, William Smith, Angel Godoy, Will Shaw, Gabe Beckles, Patrick Herber, Joe Treniello, Christopher Leon, Adam Flanagan, Jason Barnes, Brendan Dowler, Isaiah Argue, Raul Garcia, Rocky Troop, and Dylan Workus. Thank you so much to our top tier patrons. All patrons, we are grateful for your support. Okay. Want to do some trivia? Let's do it. In 2014, after Robin Williams died, the bench in the Boston Public Garden where he and Matt Damon had their conversation scene became an impromptu memorial site. People left flowers, quotes, and various items at the bench. A petition was even passed around to erect a statue in Williams' memory near the bench. The very first day of shooting, 
On the very first day of filming Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck started crying out of happiness because it was a scene between Robin Williams and Stellan Skarsgård, accomplished actors, doing Matt Damon's and Ben Affleck's scene that they wrote verbatim, and they had waited to make this film for over five years, and it had finally happened. The lines in the scene where Sean talks about his late wife's farting were ad-libbed by Robin Williams. That's why Matt Damon is laughing so hard in the scene. And if you watch carefully, you can notice that the camera actually shakes a bit. This is because the cameraman was laughing as hard, was laughing hard as well and shook the camera while they were filming. When Robin Williams and Matt Damon were shooting their scene on the bench at the Public Garden in Boston, they thought they would be the only people around the area in the park during filming. However, due to Robin Williams' gigantic stardom, at one point over 3,000 people were at the location watching them fill the scene. After Matt Damon and Ben Affleck sold their Goodwill Hunting script to Castle Rock, it was printed in Daily Variety that they were going to get $600,000 for it. By using a copy of Daily Variety, because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had no credit at the time, they rented a house that was $3,000 a month, so they had to use that to show that they had money and income. And I believe it was in Eagle Rock that they rented the house. Yeah, Eagle Rock. Ben Affleck was only 25 years old when he won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for this film, making him the youngest person ever to win that award. Matt Damon was 27 years old as when they won as well. The final scene when Sean picks up the letter in his, in his mailbox and sees Will's note, Sean replies, he stole my line. That was improvised by Robin Williams. It was not in the script in the filmmaker and... Matt Damon knew right when he said it that it had to be put in the movie. Ben Affleck's father and stepmother worked as janitors at Harvard University. In 2000, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon spoke at a rally at Harvard University in support of increased living wages for all workers on campus. Ben Affleck narrates a documentary, Occupation, about a sit-in organization by the Harvard Living Wage Campaign. All right, everybody, that wraps our episode on Goodwill Hunting. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we had making it because we love this film so much. So thanks so much for tuning in around the world. If you're a patron, we really appreciate it so much. If you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. And you're the best. Thank you so much. How you like them apples? See you later, kid. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.